Good morning. May I just say that it's great to have you all here this morning. After the past two weeks leading up to Easter, we're back with our usual teaching pattern and we're looking at Exodus chapter 18 today. I wonder how good you are at taking criticism or advice from others about something that you've been doing. Try to think about a time at work, at school or at home when you've been doing something for a while and someone comes along and says, I don't think that what you're doing is best. Here's what I think you should do. And then they give you their take on it. How do you react? Are you the kind of person to say, wow, thanks so much for the advice. Let me consider and learn from that. Or are you more like me? The kind of person who thinks, how dare you come in and correct me? I've been doing this for ages and it's fine. We have someone staying with us just now. They were visiting uh, when the lockdown started and now they can't escape. And after about a week, Steph um, said to Sarah and I, why do you have the microwave sitting over there in a corner where the door opens the wrong way and it's really hard to get access to it? Wouldn't it be better if it was sitting over that side of the kitchen? Now, she was actually right. And after five years of living in a house, we finally moved a few things around in the kitchen and made life easier for ourselves. Now, this is a very trivial example. But sometimes a fresh pair of eyes on a situation and some sound advice is just what we need. And in today's passage, we find Moses, whose life we've been following, in a similar situation. A bit more meaningful than the position of kitchen appliances, but still with advice to take on board. For context, and in particular for our friends who are tuning in from all around the world and haven't been part of our normal Regent teaching, um, we've been looking at the second book of the Bible called Exodus where we've been following the life of a man called Moses. We've seen his birth, his time as an Egyptian prince, running away after he killed an Egyptian, his 40 years spent in Midian, where he's met his wife and had two children. We saw his call from God through the burning bush, a call to return back to Egypt and to Pharaoh to demand the release of the Israelites from slavery, leading to the famous 10 plagues, culminating in the death of the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. We saw how God saved them from the Egyptian army through the Red Sea, the hunger of the people in the wilderness to which God responded by giving them food twice a day, God's provision of water uh, in the wilderness from a rock, and in our last session, the attack of the Amalekites, which God brought them through victorious. It's been quite the journey so far. And at this point, they've circled back around to very familiar territory, very close to where Moses spent his 40 years living in the wilderness, very close to where he met his wife, very close to where his father-in-law Jethro actually lives. So we're going to read today's passage, we're going to read Exodus chapter 18 together. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to, to you with your wife and our two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. 
He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. And I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourself out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Here in our passage, we're reintroduced to this man Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, who we met briefly in Exodus chapter 2. Later in that chapter, Moses marries his daughter Zipporah, after rescuing her and some other girls from a band of shepherds who were driving them away from a watering hole. At some point in the journey, Moses needs to send his wife and sons back home to, to Jethro, although we aren't actually told when this happens. We know that she and her sons are there as Moses starts to return to Egypt to meet with Pharaoh. And if you read in uh, Exodus chapter 4, you'll see the account of what happened there. And it's quite likely that at this point or not long after, Moses realises that the journey he's about to embark on to free the children of Israel is not one for his wife and children to be part of. And it's probably been nearly a year since Moses last saw his family. And so here, word comes to Moses from Jethro that he's heading out to the camp with his wife and two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, to see him. And so it is right for Moses to be with his family, to care for them, to love his wife sacrificially, and to guide his children in the law of God and in character development as they grow up. Now there's something lovely about the naming of these two sons of Moses. Names of children in the Bible were often linked to what was happening in the lives of the parents at that point. Unlike today, where names are often just given to be unique and a bit different, like, oh, this is my son, his name's Avocado, and this is my daughter, Frankenstein, uh, biblical names were quite a bit more considered. Just read the naming of uh, Jacob's children in Genesis 29 and 30 to see how this could have worked. And so here, the names of Moses' boys were meaningful. The first 
Gershom means sojourner, which is exactly how Moses felt at the point in his life when he had Gershom. He was working for his uncle, he was a runaway Egyptian prince, little to his own name, maybe a little lost, not really sure where he should be. And then we have Eliezer, which means my God is my comforter or my helper. An acknowledgement of the help that God gave to protect him as he ran from Pharaoh at the age of 40. But these names can actually be a great summary of the life of a Christian today. We are in fact sojourners, travellers on a journey towards our true home. In a place currently where we're not supposed to be getting too comfortable, not to be putting down too many roots, not to get too attracted to, because it's just a temporary accommodation as we travel through towards heaven. But we do have a habit of getting uh, far too attached to the things this world offers. We worry about the cars that we drive, the houses that we live in, the brand of clothing that we wear, and so it goes on. When in actual fact, all of this is just temporary accommodation. Do we really care about what colour the wallpaper is in the bed and breakfast that we stay at? No, because it's just temporary. Now I can say this because I'm as guilty as anybody else. And I need to challenge myself with where my focus really is. Let us not worry about preparing for temporary things, but for our permanent future home, our home in heaven, by service, by serving others and service towards God. What we call in the Bible, storing up riches in heaven. In Hebrews, in the New Testament, as the writer talks about some of the old patriarchs, he says in chapter 11, verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. But this is not an easy road. This is not a walk in a park. And so we have God as our helper, the one who protects and supports us on our journey. I wonder how many of us today feel exactly like that. Life is not that easy. I'm a little scared. I'm a bit unsure. I'm struggling with illness, with worry, with mental health problems, with uncertainty. Maybe you have concerns that nobody else knows anything about. Maybe you are struggling with just how shallow this world really feels and you're not sure where you fit in. Well, for any one of us who is a child of God, then we are promised that God is our comforter, walking every step of the way beside you, feeling your fears and your worries and promising to be there wherever he leads you. The message that God is going to give to Moses' successor, a man named Joshua, rings true for each of us today. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Jethro is an interesting character. He's a Midianite who were descendants of Abraham through one of his wives, Keturah. And he's a priest, a servant of God. But from our passage, it's reasonable to determine that he was a polytheist, a believer in many gods, having been brought up in a pagan society, but probably aware of the God of his ancestors, the God of the Bible, but believing that this God is just one of a multitude of gods. And he's, he's heard incredible things, things that have culminated in the Israelite slaves being freed from over 400 years of a captivity, the destruction of probably the most powerful army in the world, and maybe a few other very mysterious happenings as well. And so he meets with Moses, and the greeting is so respectful, there is such love between these men. Moses, after all, did live with Jethro for somewhere close to 40 years. And it's worth noting that Moses, the great ruler and chosen of God, bows himself down to his father-in-law and kisses him, a mark of respect and honour. And Jethro, now seeing the one who once looked after his sheep, 
Ruling a nation has no jealousy or bitterness about him. It does not matter what position we might reach in life, in business, in the church, we should never lose the ability to respect those who we meet. As Matthew Henry says in his commentary, religion should never destroy good manners. But Jethro, if he doesn't already know, is in the middle of realising an important truth, that this God, Moses' God, the God of Abraham, is the true God. And so as they meet together, Moses explains in detail to Jethro all that God has done to Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and all of the hardships along the way. This is the heart of true testimony, telling what God has done in our lives, including the hard bits. And as difficult as it is a lot of the time, and I I really don't know why it is so difficult at times to be honest about our faith and tell out what God has done for us, may I encourage each of us who know God to use every opportunity we can to share what God has done in our lives. And as Moses spoke out about what God has done, including the hard bits too, and there were many hard bits, there were times when the people had come to Moses full of complaints and fears, when they were scared of the pursuing Egyptians, when they were hungry, when they were thirsty in the desert, when they were attacked, when they felt lost. It, it was not an easy journey so far, and that's only the stuff that has been recorded. And the walk of faith is no walk in the park, and it comes with many obstacles and sometimes some really, truly horrible times. We, and many in our country, churches, world, We mourn today. Many of us have lost loved ones and are walking through very hard times. This is not because God has left us to it. It's because God has something to teach us. We don't always get it and maybe eternity alone will answer some of those questions that we have just now. But it is not because God has abandoned us. What Moses would have spoken out to Jethro is just how regardless of the trial, regardless of the fear, God had been there every step of the way how he had intervened in miraculous ways, but actually more than that, how he had been a God who honoured his word and did exactly what he said he was going to do, bringing them out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And the honest testimony of Moses speaks out into Jethro's heart. He might have been able to argue with certain theological points or debated other gods, but what he cannot do is argue with Moses' testimony of the faithfulness and power of his God. Our God is a faithful God, a God who cannot go against his own word, cannot lie, will not back away from any one of his promises to his people. And praise God that his faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And so Moses speaks of the power and faithfulness of his God, and this has an impact on Jethro. And this is exactly what the people of God should be doing, having an impact on those around about them and showing and telling how great their God is. And as Jethro heard about the journey of Moses and the children of Israel, at the end he is caused to cry out in worship and praise, because this is what an honest and passionate testimony of what God has done in our life can do, turn someone else to God. It becomes clearer now that Jethro is completely changed in terms of his belief about who this God is, Hear his declarations in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. He is now himself a true believer in the one God, the God of the Bible. And this is based on faith. Now I know, he says. And it caused him to sacrifice and to praise. He brought a burnt offering and he declared the greatness of God. 
And this is the process by which any of us come to know the great God of the Bible. We hear the great things that God has done to us and for us. And in particular about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth in human form, lived a perfect life, chose to die on a cross, bearing our sins, taking our place and being our sacrifice. And then, just like we remembered last Sunday, being raised from the dead. And in faith, we accept this. And we ask God for forgiveness, knowing that this is the only way to have a true relationship with the God of heaven. And this leads to our placing God first in our lives, offering our lives as a sacrifice for him. And it culminates in our understanding that this God is greater than all other gods and declaring his praise in our lives. And maybe we, like Jethro, are guilty of actually having many gods in our lives. Other things that take a place of God, who push gods out, out to the sides, and these things aren't right. And, and there are many of these possible things, power, position, money, family, sex, status, acceptance, popularity, and so many other things that can either subtly or maybe quite obviously replace God as centre of our lives. And many of these things are really quite legitimate and can be in our life. But can you and I say with Jethro that the Lord is greater in our lives than any of these other things, any of these gods? If not, then may God grant us the strength through himself to be able to place these things in the correct place in our lives and place God where he should be as centre of our lives. Moses is the leader of a large nation, nearly three million people. And in this, his primary goal is to serve those around about him in order for them to flourish. And in particular, in this context, to help them meet with, to obey and to develop in relationship with God. But things are not straightforward. There's disputes and there's lots of them. Imagine three million people all living within a small area and the amount of arguments that are going to arise. Now, these weren't necessarily judging people for wrongdoings. It could just be dealing with situations, evaluating arguments, providing order in a community, because our God is a God of order. And so this is a vital work to be done with a people who are trampling all over each other. With Moses being the mouthpiece for God, and knowing the will of God more than any others, it was vital that these disputes were judged against God's standards. Now, this is so important for us in all areas of our own lives to ensure that our discussions, disputes, arguments, decisions fundamentally line up with what we believe God's will is and word says. In every part of our life, we should be able to address those difficult decisions by saying, what would most agree with what I know of God's character and God's will? And this will help to reduce conflict across our own lives as well. Now, fortunately, we don't need to seek the counsel of, a, of God through a man such as Moses. God has graciously given us his word in the Bible and the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. And through his character and through reading his word and following in the footsteps of Jesus, we can know God's way. And if anyone is listening today and, they, and you don't have access to a Bible, please do make contact with Regent Chapel on the email address that you'll find at the end of the service. And we would be thrilled to help out with that. Knowing God's will and what is best for all of us fundamentally uh, is best. And, and God's knowledge is so far beyond our own, as is declared in Isaiah 55 verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so it's actually in our best 
to know God's will and to put his way into practice in our lives and to live out those well-known verses in Proverbs chapter 3 where we read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Because when we decide to act outside of what we know is God's will, you can guarantee that conflict will increase. And so these people need guidance. Three million people's worth of guidance. And Moses deals with them all. I think I can see how this plays out. The next day, Moses says to Jethro, I just need to go and deal with a few disputes and off he pops. Jethro gives it an hour, checks his sundial, waits a little bit longer. Moses still isn't back. And it's not until evening when Moses finally comes back into the tent after listening to and dealing judgments on as many disputes as can be fitted into a day. And Jethro's response is to say, this is not good, Moses. You're going to be exhausted in no time. And not only you, but all of these people who are queuing all day long to speak to you. And this is only about two months in into what is going to be a 40-year journey. And Moses is already working too hard. Now, please note, this is possible. It is possible to work too hard, even in the service of God. In our Western society, which is so competitive and work-driven, it'd be really easy to hold Moses up on some kind of pedestal and applaud his resilience and determination. But Jethro, in just one day, has identified that from a mental health perspective and physically, he's going to burn out. And it's important that we are both aware enough of our own needs, but also that we have people close enough to us that are able to give us sensible advice and are considering our needs as well, to be able to intervene when they think we are going too hard or too fast. Jethro's advice is simple. Develop a better hierarchical structure for dealing with these judgments. Rather than Moses dealing with every single dispute among the people, the advice is to find men who can take on some of the more minor disputes. Now this highlights a couple of issues. That in our church setting, and probably true of most work environments too, some people will be working too hard and they need guidance about that and possibly correction regarding this. Others maybe not doing enough. Now, please don't think that this means that I think people are being lazy, but it's actually sometimes it's possible that because of micromanagement or overworking of others, some people don't even have the opportunity to serve. Now, I'm really grateful that at Regent Chapel, I don't believe that this is the case. And I believe that we are well supported by our elders to find an area to serve in and encourage to serve like that. But this is a time a time that we are able to sit back a little and reflect and think about how we serve in our churches or maybe even in workplaces as well, and if we are doing all that we can. God has not saved us and called us to sit in our behinds and get dragged along. He has called and gifted us to work and serve. And in this time when we have a little bit more time on our hands, maybe we can reflect on just how much effort and time and energy we are giving to God in service for him. But consider from verse 21 of our chapter the qualities that Moses is looking out for in these new men. They're to be capable, those who fear God, trustworthy and hating dishonest gain. These would be people who have already shown themselves to be capable. As Moses looked out across that nation, he would have been able to spot some of these people immediately because they were already serving the people, showing their capabilities. It would have been obvious to those around about them that these men had a reverence and a respect for God. Probably these were not the men who were shouting and complaining and standing up in Moses' face every possible opportunity in these previous chapters. 
They could be trusted with instructions and they were honest. And you could tell that what they were doing, it wasn't for their own gain. It wasn't for self-interested reasons or to inflate their own position. These were people who stood out as having the qualities and character to be used by God. And as we hear of these characters, I wonder, would that be you? Would that be me? Would we have been spotted? Have we shown ourselves to be capable, willing to get involved, not passive bystanders on the side, letting everybody else get on with the work, but getting stuck in? Do we have a true reverence of the holy God of heaven? Are we trustworthy? doing what we say we will do and being people of our word, honest and clearly not looking to progress ourselves, but serving for the kingdom of God. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 we read this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. It's worth each of us searching our own hearts and motives, and asking God to challenge us where we need to be challenged and changing us to be people like this, those that would have met this criteria. And in this action, this would leave Moses to focus where he should be focusing, to be the people's representative before God. That's prayer on behalf of the people. To be able to teach them his decrees and instructions and to show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. And this was Moses' chief role, and it's the chief role of most church leaders, to pray for the people, to teach them the ways of God and to show them how to live and how to act in their lives. Pray, teach, example, and then release. This is fundamentally discipleship in action and a sound method for growing people in our churches to be people of impact themselves. From this group, the next gener generation of leaders were going to come out that would ultimately lead the Israelites into the promised land. Spoiler alert, but actually Moses is not going to be the one that takes this nation into the land of promise. But people like Joshua and Caleb, those who are going to meet later on in the story of the Exodus, these are going to be men who have been taught by Moses, receiving the word of God. They're going to be hard-working men. They've been prayed for by Moses. And by being close to him, they see how he acts and have learned what it means to be a man of God. Until now... Moses has struggled to do this because he's been spending all day dealing with disputes regardless of their seriousness. But with some good advice and a better structure, he will now have the time to focus on some of the more important roles for himself. But for those of us who are not church leaders, we can certainly be helping with the process. To aid all people to pray for each of us in an informed way, we need to be honest and open with each other to tell others what our fears are and our worries so that we can be prayed for. And we know that prayer makes a real difference. We also need to be willing recipients of the teaching of God's word into our lives. We need to be keen to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. And then we need to enact it. We need to put it into practice in our lives. And to allow it to make changes in us as God identifies areas that need to be corrected. And we should be keen to surround ourselves with people who we believe to be godly examples. Now, just now, that's a bit difficult. But as we look forward and, and maybe even just now in a slightly different way, what, what ways can we find where we can surround ourselves with people who we know are going to be positive influences, godly examples for us?
And so what will Moses do with this advice? Is he going to go to Jethro and say, well, Jethro, what do you know? God called me from the burning bush, not you, so I'll just do what I want. No, Moses was humble enough to be able to take criticism and suggestion from somebody else. He may well have been called by God and gifted by God, but he is not arrogant in his calling. He knows that he has so much to learn from other people and God can give revelation from anywhere, from people who are older than us, from people who are younger than us, from our situations and from our feelings. God works in whatever ways are going to be best for us and we need to be open to his instruction. And when others speak to us about God's will, we must be able to compare it to what we know of God and what he would want. We have to be able to make sure that this would be appropriate for us. And this advice from Jethro was sound. It did not go against anything that Moses knew of the character of God. And he could see that it would allow him to both work more effectively for God himself, but also encourage others into positions of service too. Praise God for Moses' humility. And for the reminder from God that we should all strive for humility in our lives. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so at the end of our passage, as Jethro leaves to go back home, both men have been significantly changed by their encounter. Moses has taken on advice from his father-in-law in a way that has really changed the way he oversees the nation and opens up all the people to serve. And Jethro, he now leaves as a man who, whose understanding of God has been changed for him forever. What a positive account for everybody. And I hope that as we've considered this situation, there's been something for us to learn from. I do pray that we all might be people who are keen to build each other up and to be built up ourselves to know God's ways better, to be more wise in our lives and challenged that everyone we meet might know our testimony. Might might they know how great our God is and that they might say with us and Jethro, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Let me just pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that speaks to us and for the example of Jesus who shows us your character and way. Thank you for the wisdom of the Bible, and I pray that we would try to apply your word to our lives. Help us to testify for your name, to tell out how great you have been in our lives, and to show others the majesty of our God. Give us courage to make changes where they are needed, as we seek to bring you praise and glory. Amen.